the evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. Confidential Brief is proudly brought to you by Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in roof waterproofing. If you're tired of getting contractors in to fix your leaky roof only to find out that your roof still leaks well, then maybe it's time to sort that leak out for good. Rubber roofs manufacture and apply the rubber paint to your roof. Your roof will look great and won't leak anymore. Rubber roofs offer a 10-year warranty. Rubber roofs is the trusted name in roof waterproofing. You can find out more at www.rubberroofs.co.za. It is the 3rd of July, just past the midday mark. It's hard to believe that we are officially in the second half of the year. You just blink and the year is gone. And I don't know, when I was young, I wanted the years to end quicker, get through those grades, get to the holidays. As I get older, I want the days to be longer. I want the years to be longer, but they just seem so very, very short. How ironic is that? Coming up in a couple of minutes and joining me in studio is Hein Kaiser. Hein, I'm sure you'll recognize his voice. He has a show on a radio station every Saturday and every Sunday. He's also a producer at Carte Blanche. He produces inserts for ENCA. He's also a print journalist for The Citizen. How he does it with two children, I do not know. But maybe he'll be able to make sense of his exceptionally busy life when we chat to him in a couple of minutes. But first, of course, my weekly rant. I think my rant today is twofold. Firstly, banana, banana. It's twofold. Why am I upset with banana, banana? First of all, for holding our country to ransom. I do understand that there's a pay issue, and I do understand that the turf that they were going to play on in Sakana yesterday may not have been the greatest of turfs. But the way in which they conducted themselves brings the sport into disrepute. Bafana Bafana have already displayed themselves as clowns around the world. We are proud of Banyana Banyana and their professionalism. And as much as I agree that they should be compensated accordingly, I don't think their behavior yesterday justified the fact that they are title holders. I hope that they've learned from this, and I really hope that we don't see games being abandoned simply because of money. My second rant today is money-related, of course, and it's the money that was found, or stolen rather, from the couch in Palapala. The acting public protector has found that the president did not do anything wrong. She found that, in fact, what happened after the robbery is where the problem lies, and it does not lie with the president once again. It, it applies to uh, Major General Wally Roder. Now, this Major General, who assumed the rank of Major General in 2017, had been the personal head of security for um, Ramaphosa. When Ramaphosa became president of the state, this chap carried on in that particular function, this time, however, funded by the state, and given the rank of a very senior member, in fact, the second highest rank in the police, that of Major General. Now, it seems like he's the fall guy in all of this. There are still unanswered questions as to why the president did not have his assets and his businesses in a blind trust. In fact, he conceded as much that he was still participating in the day-to-day business activities of his farm. This is not the kind of actions we expect from the president of our country, who is meant to be leading by example in a country that is already captured by fraud and corruption. I really hope that this finding by the acting 
public protector is taken on review and we can get real answers. The unfortunate thing is it seems, however, that our country is now getting ruled via the courts because we've got all this incredible legislation in place, all these Chapter 9 institutions, but everything has to go on review. We need to make sure that the Chapter 9 institutions maintain their integrity and maintain their independence. I'd like to remind you the views expressed on the show aren't necessarily those of myself or that of High FM. Confidential Brief is proudly brought to you by Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in roof waterproofing. Our guest on Confidential Brief today is Hein Kaiser, who is a journalist as well as a producer. Um, before we went to break, I mentioned I was going to ask him how he does it. So firstly, greetings, Hein, and secondly, how do you do it? I've got a very understanding wife. Good morning, Chad. Good afternoon, Hein. Yes, I do live. You're absolutely right. I'm 15 minutes in the past. <laughs> you are. <laughs> but Hein, seriously, you, you write for a well-known daily newspaper. You're producing for carte blanche. You're producing inserts on ENCA. How do you find the time to do all of this and investigate interesting stories? Do you know what? There's 24 hours in a day, Chad. And um, I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning because I still like to spend time with my kids. So I work before the school run, after the school run, fetch them from school or extramurals, and uh, cut it all off at 6 o'clock. Because you'll be surprised if you don't, um, what is the word, without using a bad word, because my son said it is not allowed, is if you don't mess around during the day, you can actually get a lot done. But it's only not just one person. It's all the people around you your network, the people that you get to work with, if it wasn't for them, you would be not a zero on a contract anyway. But, Hein, it's a seven-day gig. You're also working on radio on a Saturday and a Sunday. Yes. You can't be that popular with your wife. Um, I really hope she's out on the road and not listening to the radio. Um, no, she's very understanding. She's also in retail. She's got a florist shop, or a flower shop, so she understands the kind of hours that one does have to I suppose, busy yourself with to make a living these days. Because 9 to 5 in my life, I did it for a while. I spent a lot of time in corporate. And at some point, you reach a point where you just cannot do it anymore. And I made a conscious decision about social justice and trying to change my or do my part to affect change in the country the only way I know how. I'm definitely not a politician, so I won't stand for election. Um, but I can do it this way. Although you did work for politicians during your stint in PR. I did. I did right at the very beginning. And uh, I must say, I learned something very useful, um, which has stayed with me for a long time. It's don't ever trust politicians, <laughs> the party said to me. And he said to me, the people's reality consists of two things, the 50% that is real and the other half that we create for them. And that is, in essence, what and I look at corporate and I look at everybody out there actually trying to involve or change the narrative and that is what it's all about so i've gone to the other side now deciding well actually it's time people really know what's going on and that is really i believe how you can affect change you're not going to do it in parliament you're not going to do it on a podium but you can you can do it through being a citizen activist i suppose in many ways so a little later in the show, I want to talk about some specific inserts of investigative journalism that you produced recently for Carte Blanche. But before we get there, fill our listeners in. 
Where are you currently and what are you doing currently? Because I know you're busy and I see your name all over the place. I'm, and, and I understand the time constraints, but explain to me how you've been able to encapsulate this multimedia product being yourself. Luck. No, um, at any given point in time, I'm probably busy with about 28, 29 stories that I'm juggling. Um, to find different aspects, and that's just on the investigative side because there's for print and there's potential ones for television. So, and then I also have a whole lot of lifestyle stories because in, particularly in print and for the online work that I do, I have to cover everything from sex through to musicians and people who do tapestry on the stoop in the afternoons. So, and for me, I actually quite enjoy that because it's a nice break from seeing the grit and the grime, um, that you kind of have to contend with the other days. I, m- I must tell you actually something very funny. Here I go off on a tangent, which I tend to do. It's the ADHD in me. Um, the other day I went to one of several, there's a place called in the East Rand called Poo Lake where you actually see everything float around inside people's Boy. houses. But um, I had to go and get a pair of gumboots because to navigate these places that you end up going to and to, because I don't believe you can write about something without actually having experienced it. Um, you have to get yourself a pair of gumboots, thick sole shoes, because straight after that, I went to a drug den where I walked in on people injecting themselves with tuck and um, accidentally stepped on a bottleneck pipe and it went right through my shoe because I didn't think ahead. But so those are the kind of fun things that you do get to do. And you see other sides of society that perhaps living a sheltered life wouldn't be as enriching. We're chatting to multimedia journalist Hein Kaiser. When we come back from break, we're going to be chatting about two very, very important segments that have aired recently on Carte Blanche that have had a massive response from the public. And these, of course, are the two stories that involve vehicle financing fraud schemes. We'll be back straight after this. Confidential Brief is proudly brought to you by Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in roof waterproofing. You're listening to Confidential Brief live in Johannesburg on 101.9 FM and streaming worldwide on highfm.com. Today we're chatting to Hein Kaiser. He is a producer from Carte Blanche. And over the last three weeks, he's produced two inserts that have captured the public's imagination. These inserts portray a very lavish lifestyle because people in South Africa have an obsession with cars. Tell us a little bit more about these stories, Hein, and what you've uncovered um, being the investigative journalist. I was completely gobsmacked because even though I investigate things all the time, I'm quite naive and I'm still very shocked when I see how clever people are. Um or devious for that matter. So the first one was um, with the help of whole investigations team is not just me is a, a scam by the name of ANA dealings with this guy, Ari van der Berg ran this fantastic scheme where they tempted everybody with luxury vehicles. Now I would love to drive a Ford Mustang or a Porsche or whatever it is. Now imagine if you can get your hands on this and it costs you absolutely nothing. All you pay for, or I suppose the only price you pay or your rental that you use to get that is your credit record. Help, help me break this down. So you're not yes. paying money. Absolutely no cash. And you use your credit record to finance some other car that you never see, which goes into this 
fant- mystical pool that other people rent or get to drive, and you get to drive a different car at no cost, and apparently that's for six months, because after that, it gets sold off or whatever it is, and you are free of the deal, which... It is the most unbelievably complex scheme I've ever encountered it in my entire life. It must be complex if we're talking about people being told that they're not going to have to pay anything, yet they get given the use of a luxury car. Exactly. And um, I'll never forget interviewing this one lady, Marlene. Or she was on the show, and we, we did a bit of a hop skip with her last night. And she said 30 to 40 of her friends were doing this. So it seemed all legitimate. Everything was working for them, but it was within that six month window. And she succumbed to it, checked it out. And because the paperwork still goes through the banks, everybody believed it's legitimate. So what happens is you go and apply for finance at um, a garage at somebody called a, a finance and insurance individual. You complete your forms and it goes away for financing. But what you don't know is that this man or woman fudges your numbers. So in the one case study, I'm sure if you've seen the insert, but for the benefit of those who haven't, um, there was a guy who was divorced. He didn't have any assets. He earned 74,000 rand a month. But magically on the credit bureau, he was listed as married, has a 2 million rand house. And um, what was the other one? And he earned 164,000 rand a month. So what they did is that fudging enabled him to purchase the car that he never saw initially and to drive whatever else the carpool gave him. So it takes a big value chain of, I suppose, criminally minded people who must be all in on the take to be able to make a deal like this happen. So for me to understand, I get told there's an investment scheme I say look I don't have money thanks for inviting me to join this but I don't have bucks they say you don't need the money your credit worthiness is your buy-in because we're going to use your credit worthiness to buy a car that's going to go into the pool and there's there's also a bit of a cashback so you 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 induced to invest and this takes me to the psychology of this and the whole reason we're chatting today do you think people are more susceptible to schemes when we have a poor economy or when inflation is at an all-time high or when people are battling to make ends meet? Absolutely. I was actually looking into a story about a year or two ago about everybody and the side hustles, hustles that they engage in. And it's a phenomenon that continues to grow because everybody needs money, Um Promotions, salary increases, etc., are few and far between. And I work by a thing called the tomato sauce index in my own head. The price of all gold tomato sauce has more than doubled sure. in the last three years, from sixteen ninety nine to forty bucks where it is now. So if you take that as a a rough unscientific barometer for the life that you have for the lifestyle that you try and maintain, or just to put food on the table. It means your food cost has probably gone up by 100% over the last couple of years and your salary probably by 3%. So looking for a side hustle and then seeing something that at face value looks legitimate, in particular because it goes through the banking system, um, by word of mouth you see it's working for other people, it becomes irresistible when it's not just peer pressure but socioeconomic pressure um, I suppose puts you in a bit of a corner. But Hein, I need to ask you this. 
you did say that this scam took you by surprise because despite being an investigative journalist, you, you can be somewhat naive. You've also brought up the aspect of side hustles. Now, when I look at you, mm. I have an immense amount of respect. You've got two small boys. You've got your wife. And when it comes to side hustle, you're the king of side hustles in your world, in the world of journalism. You're in print. You're on radio. And you produce shows for television because you've got a lifestyle that you need to fund. If somebody came to you and said, listen, you can get involved in an investment scheme. And this takes us to the next story. The, the, by extension, you've now got right to own where people were induced to get involved by buying cars using their good name. These cars would be rented out. They'd get a return. You and I question this, even though you said you're naive, you sticking to the world, you know, in journalism to make your extra money. Why is it that other people are going out of their comfort zone? I think it's an innate quality in all of us because I can't, okay, I would probably join because I'd want to see how it works because I could see a potential story. But I think within all of us, the temptation of easy money is so ingrained and in how it could solve your problems. You know, it's like a drive through service. Why do drive throughs work? It's instant gratification. And it's the same, to me, it's the same principle at the end of the day. Not that I'm a psychologist, but the temptation must be so big and the pressure on you financially severe or slightly even prodding you that it seems like a good idea. So the first scheme is slightly different to the second scheme. First scheme, people are induced through cashbacks plus the added um, luxury of driving a supercar. The second scheme, more along the lines of people needing money, using their credit worthiness to buy cars that go into a rental scheme. Do you think that the people should have asked more questions or do you believe forces overcomplicate things to make it more difficult for the potential victim to actually understand what they're getting themselves into? So with the second scheme, just as a, as a slight segue, I think it could have worked because if I take a step back and I look at the picture and I go, here's a guy who buys a car, it gets rented out elsewhere, and the middleman is the one who takes the markup. Now, at face value, it's a very simple, um, I suppose, process or business idea, which could potentially work because you'll never run out of customers who are blacklisted who need a car who can potentially pay you. Where I think it went downhill or where, where the fatal error was that the guys in the middle, Tyrone and Shanae, were greedy with all the cashback complexities because they also had a cashback with loading the value of the cars through the FNIs, through fudging people's affordability details. That speaks to me of greed on top of something that could have been a decent idea. So then what is a decent idea that could have potentially become a business is corrupted by greed and the your victims believe in the simple idea and they don't necessarily see what's behind it, but they get tempted so much with the cash that they blindly follow whatever this good-looking couple um, does. Because remember, on the other side of this picture is a couple who is the picture of success. They're quite attractive. They've got their own children. They live in a lovely Pretoria estate. So... They look like they're legitimate. The idea at face value or the simple idea seems viable. 
And then there's the extra allure of the cash or allure. How do you pronounce allure? Is it allure? I'm a Dutchman. Is it allure? The allure, the allure. I suppose allure. so. Yes. But what you what you describing to me is an affinity yes. type scam because they were approaching people that they knew within their communities who themselves knew others to bring on. So it was by word of mouth. This wasn't advertised as an investment scheme in the popular press. No, no. Except there are Facebook posts where they it looks like. And I haven't been able to get hold of a single one of them. Like Right to Own did have salespeople employed. But the phone numbers don't exist. So we've got Right to Own, which is offering you as an investor the opportunity to make money. You use your creditworthiness, get a car. They rent that car out on your behalf. You meant to get money back. Something goes wrong. Um, perfect storm happens. These cars disappear. Some cars have landed up in chop shops. And in the first scheme, which was A and A, you have people getting told, listen, your investment is again your creditworthiness, a car that's going to go into a carpool, perhaps land up on a dealer floor. And the added incentive is not just the fact that you get a cashback, but you get a car. Surely the banks do not allow this. Surely there's something wrong with this whole model. Or like you said, with all those blacklisted people out there, they should be able to get third parties to buy cars on their behalf. Absolutely. I mean, you just have to drive down any of the main roads these days. There's two or three other right-to-own schemes going. I can't remember the names. but Rent-to-own. Rent-to-own, yes. So they have these schemes they wouldn't exist if they didn't have customers. So that is the one thing. So I think it could have been a viable business. But the dark side of this whole thing, like you mentioned, is that some of the cars that these owners financed on their names went to a chop shop. So, and that to me just goes straight back to being greedy and trying to run another scam and another scheme and selling off essentially what it is as stolen parts. So they're monetizing it as much as they possibly can, and the person who's used their credit worthiness is left holding the baby. Absolutely, and they've got zero recourse because in this country, if you participate in a Ponzi scheme, you do it willingly. So it's not necessarily, I suppose there's a fine line between it being criminal and um, being your own stupidity. And I think everybody is leaning towards your own stupidity and participating in something like that. So people call victims stupid. They call them gullible. And for me, the victim shaming has to reach a point where people need to understand. That's why I've been trying to look into the psychology of this, that people are still willing to believe in a dream. And if the dream gets brought to them by somebody from within their community or somebody that's known to them via, 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 then it's not really being gullible or stupid. It's perhaps being naive. But what concerns me is that these kind of schemes can turn honest people into criminals without them even realizing. Completely. And uh, most of these guys are, and I suppose to one degree or another, they they. Let me restart that. It's been a very long weekend, Chad. But um, they are because I think by propagating and reselling the scam to other people, you're engaging in criminal activity without knowing it, number one. Number two? Number two, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So let me tell you what I found very interesting in your insert last night. And it's always a feeling of vindication when, when you hear it coming from a third party is your presenter, Bongani, confronted one of the salespersons in this whole thing. And he said, yes, he knew right to own. He did a couple of deals, but he realized it was a scam. He said it. He said it was a scam. 
How does that make you feel as the producer when you're digging through all of this where you've always got that niggling doubt that perhaps there's a logical explanation for everything? Well, in my mind, if he said he knew it was a scam, then he was criminal right from the get-go. The fact that he was related to to the guy is really just sensationalist to me. But the fact that he knew it and he willingly engaged in it means that he also had a hand in influencing the finance and insurance guy to commit the fraud. And to me, yeah, on on that side, that to me is a real true criminal activity. And then to find the loophole in the bank, which I found absolutely shocking and subsequently learned it is common practice to dupe the banks that you finance things within the a period of a day because if you let's say you want to buy a house and a car on the same day but the credit bureaus might list you as overextended etc you do it at the same time so that all the financial institutions evaluate you at the same time without knowing about one another and then approve your finance on the same day or on the same next day so that because if you had applied for it, let's say a week apart, you might only have gotten one of those deals approved. And that is the same principle or the same loophole that Right to Own used to be able to get the victims, if you can call them that, participants I think is more fair in this instance, to be able to finance three, four cars. And if you unpack that, you can see very quickly that uh, let's say you've got four cars, each one of your cars will be financed at a different finance house. Because why? Take a step back. To get the deal, the F&I will always send your loan application to everyone and get the offers back. So all it means is you've got to accept them all at the same time. So coming out of COVID, the banks want everybody's business. These guys submit your particulars to a number of finance houses. They get back pre-approved approval because they submitted at the exact same time. And then they finance a vehicle with each and every one of those finance houses, a different vehicle with each finance house. Those finance houses, if they knew about the other vehicles, would never have granted the credit simply because it would then be reckless. Now, on the very same day, at the very same hour in some instances, you've suddenly got four cars in one family. There's 14 cars that have been financed because of this loophole. Exactly. So, And the banks pretty much admitted it, some on the record, some through evasive action and more about what they're not saying about the, about the scams. But for me, if it holds true in the automotive industry, I can bet my bottom dollar it's happening elsewhere. It's very perturbing. And I must be honest with you, my greatest concern is that the low-hanging fruits is where the bank's going to go. And the low-hanging fruits are the people that sign the agreements, even though in some instances I believe those agreements could or should be voided because there was misrepresentation. The banks need their money, and for them to de-risk, they can flag a dealer, they can flag an F&I, but they still want their bucks. Yeah, which I don't think is necessarily fair, but um, in my personal opinion. But I had a look at the contracts. I've seen what the ANA contract with the creditworthy victims were or is, I suppose, and then the right to own. The right to own is quite an extensive agreement, but what it really says at the end of the day is we get to borrow your car, rent it out to other people, and but you remain liable for anything. So it's not worth the paper that it's written on. Um, the ANA one is about three or four different paragraphs, which I suppose in essence says the same thing just in uh, five-year-old English. Now, for me, 
I have a motto I live by. If I don't understand something, which is why I never ever invested in crypto, I don't know whether I should kick myself or smile because crypto is always up or down. But because I didn't understand crypto, I didn't invest in crypto. Should that not apply across the board for anything where you're going to invest? Absolutely. You need to have a complete understanding. Like I, the stock exchange to me is a complete mystery. Um, because it's all based on sentiment and not fact. So in my mind, anybody can come and influence the, the value of your equity at any given point in time, or a war could break out tomorrow, or a flood can happen down under, and you're screwed. So I don't understand those dynamics well enough to be confident enough to put my money in there, and it's the same for crypto, and it should be the same for a scheme where it is just opaque. When we come back, I want to chat about this part about not understanding and how fraudsters have used that to their advantage. Because I think you and I have hit on something here, and it's something that consumers need to be wary of. We're chatting to Hein Kaiser. We'll be back straight after this word from my advertisers. Confidential Brief is proudly brought to you by Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in roof waterproofing. You're listening to Confidential Brief. In the hot seat today, carte blanche producer Hein Kaiser. And we're chatting about the second part of a two-parter that played last night um, on carte blanche regarding a very intricate vehicle finance scheme. Before we went to break, we were chatting about how complicated fraudsters can make things. And it reminded me of Forex and crypto trading schemes. Everybody heard about how wonderful Bitcoin was doing, was unsure how to get involved, and found out about schools. These schools were advertising on social media, they were advertising on other communication platforms, and it came across very, very complicated and very difficult to understand. That eventually many victims said to the people that were offering the courses, well, why don't you just trade on my behalf anyway? Mm. And that's what the instructor was hoping for. The whole school and the whole training was just a facade to make it look so complicated. Are we seeing more of this? And does it show that we still, despite all the warning signs, want to take chances as human beings? I absolutely agree with you. because, And that, to me, goes back to our own, I suppose, humanness of being greedy and greed feeds risk-taking. Do you think we're greedy if in trying times we want bang for our buck? Look at you, Hein. You've got two kids. You've got a wife. It's not easy raising children. It's become very expensive. Um, in a country where social services are becoming less and less and people are moving more towards private sector health, private sector education, it costs us so much more. Do you think that perhaps it's not greed on the part of the consumer but looking for better bang for buck? I guess you're right. But is it bang for buck or is it easy money? Because easy money, if you go the easy money path, you're bound to hit a snag somewhere. You know, it's just, it's the same as any Ponzi scheme. Do you remember in the 80s, and I've been reading up about this guy, Adrian Nivot. Yes, the milk. Yes, the fraught milk guy. So to me, and that happened in 1986-87, during the height of sanctions against South Africa. There was a recession on in the country at the time. And voila, here's a guy who gives you an easy money scam. And I always go back to that and think, you know, how in 86, 96, 2000, okay, 30 years, or my math fails me here, but did we not 
learn the same lesson because in essence all of these schemes are the same then came creon more recently yes. mirror trading international presidium imaginer africrypt there are for every single downturn in the economy worldwide there are these schemes that come out it means what you're saying, that there are predators waiting for these black swan events, waiting for something to happen around the world to take advantage of people who are in need. I absolutely believe that 100%. And, but I also don't think it's necessarily people who are predators in their everyday lives. Take, for example, Tyrone and Shanae. Let's imagine that they never did anything naughty beforehand. But... Times might have been tough. He saw a gap in the market. And again, going back to what I thought was a simple idea that could have potentially worked, greed corrupted that as a normal human being. And he went down a criminal path, intentionally or unintentionally. But that's where he ended up, from a simple idea and maybe from, I suppose, the desire to look after his own family. So is everybody born or are predators necessarily waiting to pounce? Or is it also that a predator is also a product of economic circumstance and society? I see your point. You're playing devil's advocate. But let's think about some of the biggest Ponzi schemes we've come across. You as an investigative journalist, myself as an investigator. The majority of these guys already have a group of people that they want to market to. They know in their minds what they're doing, but they come across as very charming. They come across as very successful. That, to me, almost sounds like a narcissist. I wouldn't put it past them, because narcissism, by definition, is me, myself, and I, I suppose, from a very simplistic perspective. But to add a bit of sociopath to it, perhaps... Um, Greed, again, but they all go together in the same kind of personality type. So I guess it just needs something to snap. Now, you mentioned at the outset of the program that you wanted to be more of a social activist. You're using all these different platforms to do that. Your side hustles are actually helping people out there. Let's turn and become a little bit more victim-centric. What do we say to people before they invest in schemes as a warning, and what do we say to them afterwards once they become a victim? It's that age-old cliche, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. But I think these days, you leave out the probably, it just is. Because there is no way, there's just no such thing as a get-rich-quick scheme. Crypto in particular, I mean, I've, I've known people who lost thousands because they believed in money that they can't see. Um, I know one guy who lost millions because the hard drive on which he stored his Bitcoin disappeared. But did that money ever exist? It's, or it's, that value? It's, it's, it's so strange because on the one side you want to give advice, but on the other hand, you see people re-victimized. I had somebody message me earlier today. They lost money in a scam online. They then saw some other organization advising that they were at the forefront of investigating Bitcoin transactions. So they invested with them to try to get back their other money. They got taken by fraudsters a second time. It's, they call it pig butchering. It's unbelievable the lengths people go to. When do people need to actually realize that the money they've earned is the money they need to survive on? They can't turn it, um, double it, triple it, quadruple it like they think. 
Well, I'd rather go to a casino because the odds are better. But if you, do you know what I always have in my head? And this is from before, long before I was married in my dating days. This is a thing called speed dating. You cannot speed date a business idea or actually any human being for that matter because what you learn in an hour is not the complexity that comes with it or the baggage that comes with it or I suppose the underlying in a human's case, psychological problems, financial problems or financial issues that come with speed dating any kind of scheme. And that's what everybody did here because the person or the scheme was attractive enough to want to engage with and the seduction quick and fast. So where do you – and that's where you got to draw the line. But that's me. I've got these really crazy analogies in my head. For me, I think that – there are predators out there. I think that the weaker the RAND becomes, the more the world is suffering from an economic slump, the easier people become prey to those that are willing to take advantage. I just wish people would be more proactive and not get involved in something they don't understand. It comes down to that simple analogy that I gave earlier, which I live by. If you don't understand it, then don't invest in it. 100% agree with you. But then what are you going to show on carte blanche? You can't just show the good shows. No, you can't. And uh, thankfully, I've got to say off the record, don't tell anybody I told you this, but South Africa is an absolute goldmine of these kind of stories because you just finish the one and you find another. You know, there was a, a little story that I was investigating. People who just advertise through local newspapers, what are they called, the, these classified ads and whatever it is. There are scams that run from there on low levels of like one or two hundred rand at a time, all the way through to schemes like ANA dealings or right to own. So there's one born every minute, a sucker. And, but yeah, you're right. There is a predator born every minute, but I don't think it's necessarily born this way, like Lady Gaga would say. I think in South Africa we need to be wary, but it's not just South Africa. When one looks around the world, in the UK last year, 40% of all reports of crime was fraud-related, and that's just reported. A lot of people are too embarrassed to report it. They don't want their families to know. They don't have faith in the authorities. They don't think they'll get their money back. So I believe that less than half, maybe even less than a third, of all financial crime is actually reported. And it seems to become a national sport. People seem to be taking chances. If you had to give any advice to the consumer out there, what would that advice be? If it's confusing and complicated and the person saying it to you can't explain it to you in 30 seconds flat, walk away. Very, very, very good advice. Hein Kaiser, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's Salaka. Thank you. It was different. Hein is a producer for Carte Blanche. He also produces inserts on other news channels. He has a column in The Citizen, and he's on radio on a Saturday and a Sunday playing some of the greatest music imaginable. And I actually think that although he works seven days a week, those hours that he spends on radio could be his opportunity to unwind. Hein, thank you so much for joining us today and uh, we're looking forward to your next investigative piece on carp launch any hints um there are about three or four different ones that i'm working on at the moment but i'm particularly leaning towards investigating this extortion story because man people are crazy it's crazy out there and for you the listeners um 
my heart goes out to victims of fraud. It's, it's an industry that I'm involved in from the investigation perspective for many, many, many years. And I can tell you this. My experience is that anybody can be taken. Um, you get caught at your most vulnerable. You get caught by those that you do trust. And even if you don't know the person, they come across as exceptionally charming. Remember, just like you have chosen a specific career path and you know most, if not all, about what it is you do for a living, so do the fraudsters. The fraudsters set out to commit fraud. They know everything. They even have ways in which to answer questions. They have cheat sheets with answers to questions that may be asked by potential victims. Be wary out there. They could phone you. They could email you. They could WhatsApp you. They could contact you on social media. They can even pretend to be a friend or family member. We have to be wary. And I know it sounds jaded, but it's just one of those things in our country right now and in the world as a whole, that if we're not proactive, if we're not scam savvy, we are going to get taken sooner than later. Confidential Brief was proudly brought to you by Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in roof waterproofing. If you are tired of getting contractors in to fix your leaky roof, only to find out that your roof still leaks, well, maybe it's time to sort that leak out for good. Rubber roofs manufacture and apply the rubber roof, the rubber paint rather, to your roof. Your roof will look great and won't leak anymore. Rubber roofs offer a 10-year warranty. Rubber roofs is the trusted name in roof waterproofing. And we at Chai FM are very proud of our association with Rubber Roof and all of our sponsors for that matter and really hope that our advertisers get the support that they need. You can find out a little bit more about Rubber Roofs at www.rubberroofs.co.za.